Welcome to the Work Positive Podcast with your host, executive coach and culture architect, Dr. Joey Fawcett. Discover strategies and tactics that work positive as Dr. Joey talks with industry leaders who create a positive work culture that attracts top talent and reduces team turnover. Discover how you can create a work positive culture that increases productivity and profits. Here's your host, Dr. Joey. Hey, Work Positive Nation, Dr. Joey here with my new best friend because she has horses and we have horses. And so <laughs> we, we've been talking about horses for the last 30 minutes. <laughs> Do you think people ever wonder what, what you talk about before the, you hit record? Well, we've been talking about horses. It's been a great conversation and farms and all that fun kind of stuff, the stuff that life is made of. When she's not talking about farms and uh, the fun of life, and oh, by the way, she's about to become a grandmother, but she doesn't know what oh, she Oh, we're wants. not going to tell people that. I remember I haven't accepted it. <laughs> Oh, <laughs> I'm in denial. I'm in denial. denial ain't just the river in Egypt, I tell you. Okay. <laughs> I'm but still young. <laughs> anyway, Work Positive Nation, we're going to do a poll as to what she should be called by the baby. Oh, yeah. Please help me because I won't, I have not ventured to think about it. <laughs> <laughs> this is a deep river of denial. Isn't it? It, is. <laughs> it really is. She's a lot of fun. She puts fun in everything she does, but. Wow, she's so insightful. She advises for all kinds of businesses. What she's all about is helping you discover how to bring change into your workplace that's positive and that has an impact and and just takes talent and allows it to blossom and bloom into who you're created to be, right? So Work Positive Nation, help me welcome my guest, my new best friend, my fellow horsey lover, Jennifer McClure. Jennifer, welcome to the Work Positive Podcast. Thank you. I'm excited to be here today. It's great to have conversations with people that are of like mind and don't want me to stop talking when I start talking about horses. Well, having been married for 40 years to a woman who loved horses before she loved me, there is no stopping you from talking about horses, right? I used to tell people that when I was an executive recruiter and they'd come in and look at the picture of the horses on the back of my, you know, behind my desk. And I'd be like, don't talk about them because we'll never talk about you if we do that. If you want to talk about yourself, don't ask me about my horses, right? Well, right. I'm that way with pictures of our granddaughter. Oh, I went there, didn't I? I'm so sorry. <laughs> I, I was not in denial. I didn't think I'd ever become one. But anyway, Jennifer, talk to us. Now, you served as a recruiter for a while. Talk mm-hmm. to us about what it's like and how we can attract top talent to our companies today. You know, I think there are some core things that are always important in attracting top talent. You know, being a great place to work that people talk about in the community is a great place to work. Those mm-hmm. are always going to be your best sources for getting people into your company or the people who actually work there. Mm. I think hiring great leaders to work in your organization certainly help to facilitate that. But people also want to work for great leaders. So mm. once they hear, you know, that someone is out there speaking on a topic or they've written a book about a topic or maybe they're just really involved in the community and known as a great mentor, if they know they work at your company, then I think they explore 
the potential to work for someone like that. So I think those are a couple of things that are mainstays and how you get people to come and work or be interested in working in your organization. But in today's environment where the whole world flipped upside down a few <laughs> years ago, I don't know if anyone noticed, but <laughs> it did. Yeah. And the workplace has changed. And before 2020, we were blaming everything on those poor little millennials. You know, they were bringing all these new ideas and attitudes into the workplace. And I kept standing up on stages going, guys, the millennials are old. They, <laughs> they've got houses and house payments and cars and kids now. They have responsibilities. You're talking about people who are young and don't have all those things yet. And you were once that person, too. And you yes. thought differently than you do now that you are mm. more anchored in, in the world. So I think now we can say that every generation has different attitudes about yes. work and the workplace. So whether that's desiring more flexibility, and I think that's something that you absolutely have to consider in your workplace mm. today in order to be able to not only attract talent, but to retain the talent that you have. Mm. And when I say flexibility, that doesn't necessarily mean people working from home or working in an office. I think you have to have conversations about how you can offer more flexibility, not just to the knowledge workers in your organization, but even your hourly factory workers or your frontline people at the McDonald's mm. counter, because that's mm. top of mind for people today. Mm -hmm. And they also want to learn and grow. So if you don't have systems and processes and structures in your organization to help people grow their skills, to get mm. to the next stage of career path, whatever that might be, if it's going mm. forward or backward or sideways, <laughs> they want to learn and grow. And again, it's not just the young folks that want to do that, but the Gen Zs are really big on that. Mm -hmm. So what does flexibility look like in this upside down world today? Well, for those of us that have been executives, we always had it, you know, <laughs> I want to go to the doctor, you know, appointment at two o'clock. I don't need to tell anybody or I just block mm. my calendar off, you know, or uh -huh. I need to go. I was a single mom when I was uh, in my last corporate role as an executive and my son played select soccer. So he uh. had soccer practice. I still don't know why at three 30 in the afternoons, what? you know, several days a week, he had out of town soccer games. So I was mm. like running the shuttle to do that. And I just meant that I worked in the evening or on the weekends or whatever mm -hmm. to make up for it. So I think mm -hmm. that kind of flexibility is what a lot of people, uh, you know, in the professional ranks have come to expect over time. Mm -hmm. Now that's extended for many of them to, I want to work from home some or all days, but for the, again, your hourly workforce or your frontline people, sure. they also want and need the same flexibility. They too have mm. kids that play soccer. They too need to go to the doctor's appointment. So where before, and again, I worked in manufacturing. I know I have a lot of regrets about, you know, the rules that I created mm. and or enforced. And and those mm -hmm. were, you know, you show up at seven and your shift's over at 3.30 and don't even think about walking away from the line. Yeah, really. um, and I think companies have had to start thinking about, and many of them are being successful at it, and some of them are failing miserably about how do we offer even those types of folks the flexibility. I have a friend um, who is a son of a farmer, um, mm -hmm. you know, and again, he's got a, a mechanic, diesel mechanic certification. Mm -hmm. He's in his early 20s. Mm -hmm. um, but he got tired of doing that because diesel mechanics are in so, so much demand. He was just burnt out and overwhelmed. Oh, yeah. So he bought yeah. some... Um, 
insulation equipment and him and his friend have started a business doing spray insulation and he works at UPS part-time, but wow. part-time employees at UPS get full-time benefits. And yep. that's why he works there. And that's why he refers everyone he knows to come and work there. And mm. they have an app for scheduling that they can actually go in and choose which days of week they want to work based on wow. seniority. They get priority. So he loves the fact that he mm. has this core job that allows him to do farming, to do mechanicking, he calls mm. it, um, and mm. to do his business as well. But his, you know, his base employer is UPS and he's happy to work there because they provide that flexibility. So Mm. I think we all have to think differently than saying, well, we want people loading packages on the trucks from 10 p.m. to 7 a.m. Maybe somebody comes in and works four hours or maybe they don't Mm. work that day, but you don't fire them because they didn't work seven days that week. So it's it's really a conversation that I think companies need to explore, you Mm. know. Great if you sent everybody home during the pandemic and you said they were going to be able to work remotely mm-hmm. forever, like Twitter and like some other companies did. And anybody that's worked in HR or probably any executive role knew the moment that that announcement that came out that said they were forever remote. And you're like, you never, you never use words like forever. <laughs> it's a really long time, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> it's a really long time. And now some of those companies are walking that back and and people are, you know, revolting against that. But I think you have to really approach it as how can we, it's much more of a partnership um, mm. requirement in the workplace today. Again, my 20 plus years or 20 years in corporate America, mm. it was very much, you should be grateful to have a job and we have all these rules and you must follow them. Mm. Um, or therefore you won't have the joy of working here. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I think it's much more, and not just because of the tight labor market, I think, mm-hmm. again, to provide fulfillment, joy, purpose at work, you have to consider your whole employee, uh, the whole person that works mm. in your organization and realize, mm. again, they have kids, they have hobbies, they have desires to do things. I think it's funny. I as we, we talked about horses and I have two that I have a boarding at a boarding stable that's a show barn. Mm-hmm. And just a few months ago, one of the women who came there during the pandemic and mm-hmm. leased a horse. So she, you know, is fairly new to riding, but she liked it enough that she's now paying to have a horse that <laughs> eats and poops every day. Um, <laughs> and one day we were we were both riding, just kind of doing a trail ride. And um, uh-huh. she said that she was about to lose her job and she's a software developer. And I was like, mm. what kind of software developer loses a job? Yeah, really. <laughs> and she said her employer was requiring everyone to come back into the office full time. Mm. Or she'd been working from home now for almost three years. And she mm-hmm. said, I'm not going to do it. Number one, I live 50 miles away from the office. Wow. And it's a, you know, I've realized that I don't want to make that commute every day. Number mm-hmm. two, my team supports a team in another state. So in theory, <laughs> we're remote, even if we come into the office. <laughs> I'm like, I'm sorry, I didn't dumbest. mean to laugh. That's no, I was like, I was like amazed. Me. And, and yeah. I'm like, why would they do that? And she said, plus, I've developed some hobbies over the last three years, i.e. Like the horse. Mm-hmm. And she said, I like the fact that I can come out here and ride mm. and do my work later in the evening. Mm. And I think that's a great example of they ultimately mm-hmm. she did end up 
know, quit, got fired, whatever. They wrote it out to the end. HR was saying no. Her boss was saying he wanted her to still be able to work there and he could support it. But HR, unfortunately, in a less than forward thinking way, said no, everybody Mm. has to come back in the office. So now she's out on the market as a very desirable software developer who will 100% get a remote job opportunity elsewhere. So that's just not sitting down and thinking about, hey, let's read the room, people. What do we need to do to not only maintain our existing employees, but be able to attract and recruit talent in the future? Mm. And I think every company needs to do that. Yeah. It sounds like to me, flexibility is a synonym for humane. Mm -hmm. Because when we bolt people to a machine, whether it's a computer uh, factory production machine or whatever, Mm -hmm. uh, man, we lose sight of their humanity really fast and what brings them joy de vivre. I was reading shortly after the pandemic started that commute time, of course, had gone down and that the average American commutes an hour one way to work. Your friend, mm-hmm. you know, 50 miles uh, is a perfect example. So then the studies started coming out about productivity's up and things like this. People aren't going to the office and I'm like, duh, they're not, <laughs> you know, sitting in traffic for two hours every day, getting their soul sucked out mm-hmm. so they can now do the work. And have hobbies like horses. And I want to put in a word for all the people that love tractors. Can I just do that too? There you go. (laughs) Tractors and horses go together. (laughs) (laughs) But I think, as I said, it's, it's something that, I mean, I've had my own business for, for 13 years and I was Mm -hmm. an executive search consultant for a few years before that. Mm -hmm. And I've long had the opportunity, even when I was in the corporate world again, to but I, I had to go in the office because we didn't have things like Zoom. But I worked on the weekends. Right. We'd go into the office or, you know, come and stay late at night mm-hmm. um, on the days that, you know, maybe my son was with his dad or something. Mm-hmm. But now as a business owner, I usually go out to the barn five to six days a week to ride because mm-hmm. I have two that I have to get exercised. Uh-huh. And I usually leave here by 330. Mm-hmm. But if I haven't completed my work, I come home and I work when I get back. Mm -hmm. Or I get Mm -hmm. up earlier the next day at work. So, you know, there's no change in the cadence of my business. I fit my work and my life together. So I'm able to get out there before dark and ride with friends, you know, rather Mm -hmm. than saying I must work until 5 p.m. and then go do that. And I think, again, everybody wants to be able to live their life, you know, have a life. Yeah. Within reason. I mean, we can't have yeah. everybody at McDonald's go home at 3.30 to ride their horse, you know. So somebody right. needs to, ma- needs to to staff the counter. Um, yeah, exactly. But if you well, allow people they to... really? Because <laughs> well, kiosks now are starting to replace. Well, okay, somebody's got to make the burgers until they move the kiosk <laughs> into the back. But there are people that to work a second shift because maybe they want to get their kids on the bus in the morning, Mm -hmm. you know, so allow people to choose those hours or Mm -hmm. have flexibility to have some days off when they need to do something. I think, again, it's, it's, it is the future of work. We all like to talk about Mm -hmm. the future of work and being futurists. It's not that hard people. The future of work is flexibility. (laughs) Exactly. And the future is now, by the way. (laughs) I've I've always said that people, you know, they're like, Jennifer, you are, you're an expert in the future of work. What is the future of work? And I said, tomorrow. (laughs) <laughs> I said that before the pandemic. I was way out in front. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> That's hilarious. Uh, well, flexibility, it sounds like to me, it's a double win because it's how you attract top talent. You recognize their humanity. You want them to have a life. You, you work as much of the work into a lifestyle as possible for them. It's also how you reduce team turnover, isn't it, Jennifer? 
Sure. I mean, if I have a job where I'm growing, I like the culture, I like the people, I like the work, and I'm able to live my life uh, in the way that I want to and have the flexibility to do the things I need, I don't need to leave even maybe for a little bit more money. Mm-hmm. And I've done that in the past. I've stayed at jobs where I was offered more money to leave, but I really liked the company and the work that I was doing. And so I didn't leave. Mm-hmm. And people will make those decisions as well. You know, sure, some people might leave for more money, but then they might want to come back. You know, they might realize, which you've seen a lot of the studies or maybe you haven't, yeah. but there have been plenty of studies done over the last year or so that said all the people that left during the Great Resignation, I think something like 70% of them say they wish they hadn't. Yeah. And they would be willing to go back. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Some percentage of them would. So that's also a recruiting strategy. All the people that left you when they thought, hey, I can make, you know, $2,000 more by going over there. Yeah. Reach out to those people. They might mm-hmm. be willing to come back yeah. if you're a forward thinking company where they can do all the things they need to do. Mm-hmm. Mm. Jennifer McClure is my guest. Jennifer, what website can Work Positive Nation go to? You can find. All things Jennifer McClure at jennifermcclure.net. All right, jennifermcclure.net. That's mm-hmm. two C's. Jennifermcclure.net. So while you're listening, uh, unless you're on the Peloton or walking the dog or something, right? Or, or one of those unfortunate poor souls who are commuting right now. <laughs> I'm sorry, <laughs> I said that out loud, didn't I? Mm-hmm. <laughs> and listening to us, go over to jennifermcclure.net. It's all sorts of amazing things. I enjoy personally work positive nation reading her blog. Um, always learn something from her, and I love the take. You're talking about money is a tangible asset, right? Mm -hmm. And that's certainly one metric for why someone might leave a team. However, there are lots of intangibles. It's a different kind of paycheck. What are some of the intangibles, Jennifer, that you've seen that really are sticky and keep someone engaged, satisfied, and doing their best on a team? Sure. I know you know this already, but money is a satisfier or dissatisfier. I'm either happy with the amount I'm getting paid or I'm unhappy with the amount of getting paid. It's not mm-hmm. a motivator and it's not even necessarily a reason again to take a job if the environment sucks. Yeah. Um, hopefully we can say words like that on the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> we just did. <laughs> but, but what is it that truly gets people engaged? Uh, yep. Again, I've, I've long said this engagement's not about whether people are happy or sad or you allow pets at work or there's free food in the break room. Those are, again, people like those things. And once you do them, they become entitlements that if you try to take them away, it's like never saying forever. Don't give people (laughs) things that you don't and you think you might eventually take away. Right. Exactly. People are engaged if they feel like the work that they do matters. Mm. Uh, And I think as leaders, that's our role to help the people that are on our teams not only connect the work that they do to what our team does and what we're Mm -hmm. responsible for, but Mm -hmm. roll that all the way up to the bigger picture. Mm. So companies who have great purpose statements that people were able to grab on, um, we're all going to have bad days at work. We're all going to be, you know, quote, disengaged on certain days, but you can keep going forward and you can not want to quit your job and move your hair out of earth because they felt like they were needed more than ever. Now, was their revenue model kind of uh, all upside down at the moment? Yes. But they were doing things to try to help people that could get jobs during that time, get jobs or stay employed or be Mm -hmm. ready to be employed. You know, something like John Deere. When I think of John Deere, you're a tractor guy. I think John Deere, I think green tractors or lawnmowers or something like that. If you're Mm -hmm. working at John Deere, you think I make the tractor that, you know, sits in somebody's backyard and rusts. That's not very engaging. But I think Mm -hmm. John Deere's, and I don't know exactly, something like we make things that feed the world. Mm -hmm. 
I can grab onto that. You know, I yep. can say that my work that I do is important, putting this part mm. on this tractor or this combine or this mm-hmm. thing that helps to feed the world. It does matter even if I'm on the factory floor or if I'm, um, you know, a manager in the quality department. I worked in the automotive industry for years. Mm-hmm. We made analog brake systems and disc brakes. So those mm-hmm. are kind of important for your safety. Yeah, and we save people's lives. <laughs> we were very focused on making the highest quality braking products in the world because mm. one part per million defect was not enough. Mm. And I think our employees really, and myself, really connected to that. Mm. The last company I worked at was a playing card manufacturer. Mm-hmm. Obviously not the same safety risk, but I told new hires that would come in you know, to work in the production department, I'd say the job that you have is actually one of the most important jobs, actually the most important job that we have, more important than mine and the CEOs and everything else, because if defects get by you mm. and those get into the cartons that go to our customers, then that can affect our business and the jobs for everyone here. Mm. So the work that you do is tremendously important. Now you're telling this to someone who's going to sit on a line and watch decks of cards go by at an amazing speed and spot pinpoint defects on them. They did an amazing wow. job, mm-hmm. but to get them to see that the work they do matters and it's not Mm. just boring, mind-numbing work. Um, Mm. I think we have to, as leaders, that's the secret key to unlocking that engagement. That again, Mm. same, I didn't leave the automotive component part manufacturing company when one time I was offered, I think $25,000 more for a a higher level job, bigger title, bigger pay. Mm -hmm. Um, The job itself was pretty interesting, but I'm like, I like it here. I like mm. the work that we do. I like the systems that we have. I like the people that I work with. I mm. feel like the work that I'm doing matters. I'm making a difference here mm. and in the world. And so I stayed. Now, did I have the privilege to be able to make that decision? Sure. Some sure. people don't. Um, mm. But I think in general, that's what we need to provide. A place where people feel like I need to show up for mm. my work and for my team, because if I don't, then we won't be able to do work that matters. Mm, I hear you saying a couple of things, Jennifer. One is relevance. Mm-hmm. That's my work matters. And then the other is that equity of exchange. I'm exchanging my time, my energy, my talent, my attention. And I want to know that it matters. It's going to make an impact on someone rather than just mindless activity. What are the challenges that we as leaders face today in the work world in that kind of clear clarity around making those kinds of statements that prove the relevance of our work, prove the equity of exchange. I think the challenge for leaders is that to do that well, you can't just read the statement and say, I help people get jobs. Connect mm-hmm. to that, please. Uh, mm-hmm. <laughs> I actually, as a leader, need to get to know the people on my team and understand what matters to them. I oh, have to be able to explain and connect <laughs> right the work that we do Mm -hmm. in a way that has meaning to that person. Mm. Uh, One of my first executive coaching clients uh, was at a a large global company. He was the CIO of a large global company. He had 37 direct reports, I think, that were spread out all over the globe. And one of the first things that I did with him was I gave him a um, disc profile. So if you're Mm -hmm. familiar with the disc, you know, dominant into my disc 
look it up if you're not. <laughs> it's not, you know, you're not going to have any great revelations there, but it's often a good way to kind of start a coaching conversation, sure, especially absolutely. when, you know, this guy was a high performer and he mm-hmm. really had never taken anything like that. And so it okay. was very meaningful for him to get mm-hmm. those results. So he mm-hmm. asked me, could he do that for all 37 of his direct reports? And I said, sure. Mm-hmm. <laughs> And he was fascinated by what came back. And then he scheduled conversations again. This was before we were all on Zoom, but he scheduled conversations with the people all over the world. Mm -hmm. And when he learned that some of his direct reports, and these were VPs reporting into him, Uh one of them wanted more visibility to senior management. One of them really liked Uh working behind the scenes, doing project work, et cetera. Uh He actually shifted the work and assignments that they got to better match what they were more wired to do. You know, Uh they all have job functions and things that need to be accomplished, but Hey, if you're the, the guy or the, you know, the person who wants more visibility to senior management, well, next time we have to make a presentation from our team, I'm going to, let you do that. You mm-hmm. know, if you're the person who likes to crunch the numbers, then that's going to be your responsibility for one of our mm-hmm. projects. Mm-hmm. And it really helped him to make a huge impact on the business. Um, mm-hmm. His why was that he felt like that the work that he did actually mattered to the stock price every day. And I, mm-hmm. I think you can't get a better why than that when you think that the work that I personally do could affect our stock price every day. Sure. But for him to be able to understand for the 37, which is a lot, people Mm -hmm. that reported to him and to try to actually work with them, they all have, again, core responsibilities. We all have work that we know needs to get done. But how can I structure your work in a way that you are excited every day to come to work? Mm. And I think that's a challenge for leaders, Mm. number one, because sometimes their teams are too large, 37s probably. That's a, a lot. Number. And so yeah. that's a lot of conversations, a lot of touching base with people, a lot of Zoom mm-hmm. calls these days if they're mm-hmm. not there, even if they are in your office. Um, and the challenge is, is that a lot of our leaders may be of a certain age, my age, you know, are still of the mindset that work and life is separate. So I shouldn't be talking to you about your family or your mm-hmm. hobbies or mm-hmm. um, and I think you should be sensitive to how much people want to share with you. But mm-hmm. as a leader, I think it's it's um, helpful and maybe mm-hmm. even your responsibility to try to get to know your people as well as you can. Mm-hmm. Number one, so that you can be aware of what flexibility they might need. Maybe mm-hmm. you didn't know that somebody's caring for an aging parent who's in hospice. Yes. Mm-hmm. Okay. What can I do to support you in that? Do we mm-hmm. need to shift some of your work? Do we, need, you know, that's going to create tremendous engagement yes. when you've totally seen someone and you've helped them or acknowledged, you know, maybe, maybe that's all they want. just acknowledgement. That's going to, to drive tremendous loyalty to the company and to you as their leader. And those are things that you can't get if you're not getting to know your people as humans and working with them as fellow humans. Right. And to your point, we have more technology at our disposal today to get to know each other than we ever have before. So yeah. while it might take a few minutes, it's not like I got in the car and drove to Cincinnati to talk to you today, right? Right. We could get to know each other using the technology. Mm-hmm. It sounds to me like it's more a predisposition or an understanding of your role as a leader, that these are people and knowing what they're interested in, what their equity of exchange, you know, what's the currency of that, what's relevant to them is incumbent upon us as leaders. Mm-hmm. So it's shareholder, yes, but it's also stakeholder, isn't it, Jennifer? Right. Yeah. Again, it's it's 
a partnership. It's a symbiotic relationship. We, you know, yeah. one of us can't succeed without the other. So, um, mm. you know, it's, it's no longer that we do everything for the shareholders because it, it's, it's been quite the evolution in my decades in, in the field of, you know, people, mm-hmm. uh, in the workplace to see it move to the fact that, you know, Maybe 10 years ago, we started saying things like, you know, people are our most important asset, but <laughs> very few leaders actually functioned in that way. You know, yeah. we need to, we need to have good numbers for Wall Street. we got to slash some costs. Let's lay off a bunch of people. You know, that's mm. I, I've worked in organizations where those conversations were had and I'm the one going, wait a minute. No, <laughs> mm-hmm. that quick decision to lay off a bunch of people affects so many or more things that can make us successful in the long run. But you are seeing now, I think both with the way the world of work has changed, the fact that there is such a tight labor market and that mm. will continue regardless of, you know, lower, higher unemployment rates, et cetera. The demographics are not in our favor. The skills that w- the workforce has is not in our favor in terms mm. of us being able to easily fill jobs now and right. in the future. Mm-hmm. So you are seeing on the studies and the reports that come out from CEOs and business leaders that they're saying their number one priority is their people and talent. Mm. Now we just have to make sure that the systems and structures roll down from that, that actually recognize how important people are to the business. Mm. We need innovation. We need agility. We need all the things to grow and remain competitive in the future as a business. All of those are a function of your people Mm. and their ability to get the work done. So if you're not investing in them, you're not hiring the right people, you're not clarifying your purpose so that people can connect to it or not, that's going to affect your ability to do business in the future. Mm. Yeah. And the future is tomorrow. Tomorrow. <laughs> exactly. Actually, it's actually this afternoon, but I'm going to horses. <laughs> exactly. Jennifer McClure is my guest on this episode of the Work Positive Podcast. Go to jennifermcclure.net. If you're not where you can do that right now, it's in the show notes for this show. So however you're listening to this uh, or you're on our website at workpositive.today, just click right there, jennifermcclure.net, and you'll be so glad that you did. Jennifer, uh, final question. Work Positive Nation always wants to know what's one thing that I can do today to start creating a positive work culture? What's your one thing, Jennifer McClure? Schedule time to have a conversation with each of your employees on a regular basis. Hmm. So we've gone from, you know, bashing the annual performance review or even the semi-annual performance review to saying we're going to do frequent check-ins, but the feedback from managers and leaders is that they don't really know what that means. Mm-hmm. So what it means is I'm going to be intentional about reaching out to you, asking mm-hmm. you team member who works on my team, what can I do to support you? How are you doing? Do you need any resources? How's things going in your life in general? Mm-hmm. Those conversations need to happen on a regular basis and If you don't schedule them, they won't happen. Mm. If if you don't make, if you look at your calendar, how many times have we heard? If you look at your checkbook and you see where people spend money, you know what's important to them. Same thing happens with your calendar. If you look at your calendar and it's full of meetings and it's full of, you know, things where you're working with people outside your team and there's Mm -hmm. no time on your calendar where you're actually engaging with your team members, Mm. then I think you won't be as effective as you could be as if you are actually very familiar with your team, their progress, their goals, their struggles. And to do that, you've got to schedule it. 
Got to get some FaceTime, whether it's on Zoom or in the office, right? <laughs> yeah. We actually saw, I, I find it fascinating, during the pandemic, so my both of my businesses were decimated within two weeks of March 13th. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Everything went to zero. So I'm sitting around twiddling my thumbs trying to figure out what to do. Uh-huh. And so I started, re- and I was, I personally was burnt out on Zoom and virtual within like a week. Yeah. Because <laughs> everybody was like, let's get on a Zoom call. I'm like, please, no. Um, <laughs> so I started really just diving into it. I'm like, well, if I'm going to use this time, I'm going to try to, you know, study up and and get uh-huh. better informed and learn how I can help people, you know, navigate through these challenges. And I think it was April of 2020, Gallup, which I've followed their, you know, annual results of their employee engagement scores for years. And I've long kind of maligned the fact that if you looked at the last 20 years of data, the number of engaged employees has gone from like 28 to 29 to 27 to 30 to 27 to 28. It doesn't move, basically. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And the headline in April of 2020 was record employee engagement levels reported by Gallup. We went there. It went up, I think, to like 37 percent. And I'm like, what? We're in the middle of a global crisis. How could employee engagement go up? And so Gallup was kind of like, we don't really know either. Um, Mm -hmm. (laughs) But then in September of 2020, I saw the headline that said record drop in employee engagement. Oh, wow. (laughs) And so you go and you read that article. And again, I've written about it a few times myself. When they studied the reason why engagement went up and then it fell back down within that time frame was, is that in April of 2020, as business leaders, we were doing everything we could. We sent a bunch of people home overnight. We had to figure out how to get their technology to them and make it right. work and have it be secure. With our frontline employees, if they had to come into work, we're doing everything we can to make sure they're safe and nobody dies. And it's, you know, all the things that we need to do to just be able to meet the needs of our customers. So we as leaders were in front of our people daily. We were having frequent communications, but we were also saying, we don't know what's going to happen. Here's what we're trying. Mm -hmm. This is what worked. So we did a lot of communication and bonding as a work community and as teams to say, we're in this together. Mm-hmm. Six months later, we've had killing of George Floyd's. We've had people are tired because mm-hmm. the two weeks turned into two weeks into two weeks into mm-hmm. this is never going to end. Engagement dropped because we'd fallen back to our old patterns of you call mm-hmm. me if you need me, or I don't know how to talk to you about this difficult you know societal mm-hmm. issue that's out there. I know that you're probably wow. feeling something, but I don't really know if I'm supposed to talk to you about it. So I'm going to avoid mm-hmm. it like the plague. I'm going to take so two steps back. Yeah. Engagement went up during the biggest global crisis to happen. I guess we could say that's what it was because we were checking in and communicating as leaders Mm. more with our employees. Mm. It fell like a rock because we said we don't need to do that anymore. Mm. Mm. And so I think that's, that's a great example for us to kind of look back on and say, what did we learn during the pandemic? We learned that people want to hear from us. They want to see us. They want us to be visible, accessible, and communicative. Mm. So there it is. Work positive nation. Get in your calendar, schedule some time with the people around you, your coworkers, your colleagues, especially those who report to you and that you give leadership. And uh, you'll start today, not tomorrow, but today to create a positive work culture. Jennifer, thank you so much for the gift of your wisdom, your experience, um, you and your time today. Work Positive Nation is better because of this conversation. So I appreciate you you for having me. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Work Positive Podcast. Please share this podcast with your friends who are HR and small business leaders so they can do one thing today to create a positive work culture that increases productivity and profits. I'd like to give you a free Work Positive course just for listening. 
It's called Something to Talk About, and it's transformed the work conversations of so many people all over the world. Get your free copy when you go to workpositive.today slash something to talk about, and you can start transforming your conversations today. Remember, it pays to work positive.